Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. Today, we're going to talk about what does it mean when someone uses the word orthodox or orthodoxy. Uh, before we get into our study of this term and its relative to the Scriptures and how Scriptures apply, I want to talk to you about a few things regarding the podcast from here going forward. Number one, and I'm really excited about this, Beginning on the 13th of August, that is Sunday coming up, the podcast is going to change from topical to a textual study. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, and I'm going to kind of preach through the book of 1 Peter. I think you'll find it to be very interesting. Studying the Bible ought to always be done in context. Because if you take passages out of their context, you can pretty much make the Bible say anything. So we're going to look look at First Peter in context, just go verse by verse and, and have some lessons therein. Secondly, I need your help. I need to know if you are benefiting from this podcast. I really need you to let me know. You can text me or call me. You can send me a text message. You can just say, hey, I'm benefiting from the podcast. I'll just text you back. Thank you. You don't need to give me your name. You don't need to tell me anything about you. I won't try to drag you into a Bible study or anything else. I just need to know that some people out there are benefiting. You can send me an email. Brian at wordsoftruth.net is my email address. Of course, all of the, my contact information is in the show notes. Wherever you're listening to this, you can look at it. You can go to my website, www.wordsoftruth.net. You can contact me. Um, I won't try to drag you into discussion or anything else. I just need to know that there are some people that are benefiting outside of some of my brethren locally and, and up in Pennsylvania and, and Maryland uh, that talk to me about the podcast. I need to know uh, that there are some folks out there benefiting. Let me tell you why. It's time-consuming, and it costs money. Uh, if only a few people are benefiting, and those few people are people that I know, then there are other things I can do to help them in Bible study. I could bring this podcast just to a link on my website and YouTube and Rumble because I'm already paying for my website. YouTube and Rumble are free. Or I can find other means, some other ideas that I have. So please let me know. Uh, or you might just come and find that, hey, next time this podcast, you're expecting it in the future, it's not going to be there. So really, really, really let me know. Uh, I do get statistics but those statistics just tell me downloads. Downloads don't mean people are listening, and people listening doesn't mean that they're benefiting. Uh, people have different motives for listening to podcasts. I, I just would really like to know that you're benefiting. As always, this podcast and everything that I produce is going to be free of charge, uh, so keep that in mind. You know, But what it does cost me is time and money. I do this podcast, number one, to reach out and try to help people to be saved, and number two, to edify my brothers and sisters in Christ. If there are you know, even a small amount of people benefiting, I'll keep doing it because it's worth the cost and time to me if it's beneficial. If it's not, well, then there are other areas where I can put my time to help save souls and edify my brothers and sisters in Christ that would be uh, more beneficial. So... Do that for me, please. To our podcast, what is orthodoxy? What does it mean to be orthodox? So let's just define some terms. You're not going to look in the Bible and find this term. Um, if you looked at the preface of some translations, like I know the English Standard Version is like the Cal one of the Calvinist Bibles. Uh, they care about what is orthodox. It's in the preface of, of that perversion of the scriptures. Well, we're going to turn this into a biblical study, even though the term is not in the Bible, because there are some problems with this uh, term and, and, and what it means. The English word, as defined by Webster, means conforming to established doctrine, especially in religion, conventional. So orthodoxy, same, de same dictionary, Webster, means the quality or state of being orthodox, an orthodox belief or practice. You may have heard this term, you know, I've heard this term used outside of religious circles, like in baseball, there may be a pitcher and he steps onto the mound and somebody might say, 
he has an unorthodox windup or an unorthodox throwing style, meaning it's not the norm. It's not considered to be the normal. Well, here's, here's the thing uh, with the idea of orthodoxy uh, is it surrounds creeds, covenants, confessions, councils, all things that are of men, not of God. I grew up in a city where there was the Greek Orthodox Church was a major group that uh, assembled. They had a Greek festival every year where they closed down several streets in downtown in that city, uh, so forth and so on. And, you know, from, from an ignorant perspective, it looked very much to me like Catholicism. Well, because, you know, generally organizations, churches that hold to orthodox beliefs, they do the same thing that Roman Catholicism does. Man is the standard. There are times wherein false religious sects are set up by people, and those false religious sects become the standard. You know, in John chapter 7, verses 40 through 52, it says, Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also de deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. So look, look at the mentality here. The officers and the Pharisees don't believe on him. So, hey, you know what? The idea there is Jesus is unorthodox. He doesn't fit our standard. Nicodemus then, if you continue in the text, said to them, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know not what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, art thou also of Galilee? Search out and look for out of Galilee arise no prophet. Look, look at that. Nicodemus says, let's look to our law in reference to the law of Moses and let's see what he does. And they replied, what, are you one of those Galileans? Hey, you're not in line with us. You're not of our people. That's the mentality behind what is orthodox and unorthodox. I, I recently heard a false teacher, and he was talking about, and I'm going to give you some, some quotes here in a moment, but uh, he was talking about three different views regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he said, amillennialism, premillennialism, and I can't remember the other one, he said, these three are accepted as orthodox views. And I fall into, I don't remember exactly what he said, what view he holds into. And I'm just shaking my head and I'm thinking, well, you know what there is? There's biblical truth and then there's false doctrine. <laughs> there's not three views of the second coming of Christ that are acceptable to Jesus. There's truth and there's error. And it's amazing to me that people out there fall course this. I want you I want you to keep thinking. I want you to listen to this whole podcast. I'm going to give you all kinds of biblical thoughts uh, going forward, but, but hear this very clearly. When any man or woman, any organization uses the term orthodox, they're in sin 100% of the time. They're following the doctrines of men. Now, hey, they might say, no, uh, sola scriptura or whatever, but as you listen to them, they have their creeds, they have their covenants, or their confessions, or their councils. They are all, every one of them, 100% of the time, with all certainty. And I rarely ever say anything like that. If you've listened to me teach over the years, you know I rarely say always, and I rarely say never. When it comes to people that hold to the idea of something being orthodox, they are always followers of men. So I want to bring you back to the Bible now sext. That's really what is behind the idea of what is orthodox. And we see it in the Bible. We don't see the term orthodox in the Bible, but we see the mentality that leads to these creation of terms. And by the way, when somebody starts using the term orthodox, they have all kinds of other words that if you are just a Bible student and you listen to them talk, you're going to have no idea what they're talking about. 
You're going to be like, well, what's that mean? What's that mean? I've had Bible discussions with men that say that they are teachers of the Bible. And I spend a lot of the time in the discussion, and what do you mean by that? And what do you mean by that? And what do you mean by that? Because there are terms that they use that certainly do not appear in the Scriptures. Acts 15, I'm going to just start at verse 1. It says, Certain men came down from Judea, taught the brethren, and said, Except ye be circumcised... After the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain of them should go to Jerusalem under the apostles and the elders about this question. And being brought on the way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. But there arose up certain sect of the Pharisees which believed. So they were Pharisees, yes. They were of the sect of the Pharisees, yes. Well, they were believers too. Notice, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, Luke, uh, writing to Theophilus, the book of Acts is a second letter to uh, Theophilus, and he's giving this historical account, he's giving this narrative of what's going on. Paul and Barnabas are arguing because this doctrine originated not, not, of, not of, of the apostles, because Christians were to continue in the apostles' doctrine, Acts 2.42. No, this doctrine originated with this sect of Pharisees. It came down to Antioch from Judea by this sect of the Pharisees, because among the Pharisees, it was an established doctrine because they failed to see that the law of Moses had ceased, that you had to be circumcised. Such power, such influence, when people start using terms like this, keeps people from obeying Jesus Christ. And John 12, 42 says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, many believed on him, but because the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Think about that. The idea of this is not the accepted norm. It's not our established doctrine. If you hold to that, you're not orthodox. So you're not right. Kept that mentality, kept people from following Jesus. Listen to this. You should know that there are people that are taught that doctrines are orthodox or unorthodox. And they're often taught to call people outside of their traditions people of cult. When I hear the word cult, I think of David Koresh and other leaders of false religions who have brainwashed people and done crazy things to get people to follow them and then lead them off into compounds and separate them from society and do all kinds of weird, crazy things. But, but listen, the way I understand the word cult and the way it is used now in the world is completely different. Now, when you look at the Webster definition of a cult, it means a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. Hmm. Right? So when people are using that term, now it's because you don't agree with them. So if I were to use Webster's definition and the idea that is present in the ever-changing English language, and I were to look at the Baptist church, and I was to say, hey, they're not holding to the established doctrine as I understand it, I would say they're a cult. Now, I'm not going to do that because when I think of the word cult, that's not the usage I would use. When I look at the Baptist church or Methodist church or the Catholic church or the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, I call them false religions because they're doing things in addition to the scriptures and removing things from the scriptures. I don't call them cults, but I have noticed a growing trend. There's websites like gotquestions.org and it's false religion. They're, they're rooted in uh, Calvinism. Uh, they say the two most, one of the quotes, gotquestions.org forward slash cult hyphen definition dot HTML, and their explanation of what a cult is, they say the two most common teachings of Christian cults 
are that Jesus was not God and that salvation is not by faith alone. Well, they're right in this way, not, not in identifying people as a cult, but they're right in saying that it's false not to confess the deity of Christ because the Bible shows us in Romans 9, 1 through 5 says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that my myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsfolk, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants, the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, notice, who is over all God, blessed forever and ever. In Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which in being interpreted is God with us. Context about the birth of Christ uh, forthcoming. They are right to call out somebody that denies the deity of Christ, but on the other hand, their, their definition of a cult and you know their idea of what's not orthodox, they say if you, you, know, you don't uh, teach faith alone, well, you know, the Bible explicitly, anybody who believes faith alone is just extremely dishonest. James 2.17, James 2.24 even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Yeah, there's no getting around that. I know, I know there's an answer for everything. False teachers, they put a spin on everything. But that's clear. If you've got a brain and you can reason, you've got it. But this group of people, while they may be right on the deity of Christ, they're wrong because they teach salvation by faith only. Similarly, there's a website, jesusissavior.com is jesus-is-savior.com, and then they have false religions, and they're, they're talking about a, a religion formed in the restoration movement. Now, this is difficult because, you know, if you call yourself the Church of Christ, I mean, obviously that's scripturally right, Romans 16, 16, one of the confusing things today is there's all kinds of churches that call themselves the Church of Christ that believe all kinds of different things. Very hard to distinguish between where they come from and what they teach. Many of them are just restoration movements, uh, churches, which Jesus didn't die for on the cross. They weren't formed till the 18, 1900s and later thereafter. Well, this website is talking about those people, and it says, Clearly, it is faith alone in Christ which saves a person without baptism. The Church of Christ cult teaches damnable heresies by adding requirements which God didn't add. So they call the Church of Christ there a cult because the Church of Christ teaches baptism. Well, look, uh, when you look at the scriptures, there's multiple baptisms mentioned in the New Testament. By the time you come to Ephesians 4 and verse 5, there is one baptism. Once you look later uh, at things that are written, hey, and we're going verse by verse through 1 Peter, so we're going to get to this one particular verse but in the context of 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, it's talking about how Christ died and then he went to Hades to preach uh, to those that were there. You know, he spent three days in the Hadean realm uh, to preach to those who were disobedient. And 1 Peter 3, 20, 21, which sometimes were disobedient, was once the long-suffering God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few that his eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, we're going to see Peter's writing uh, here, to, and, and there's Gentiles being addressed, and so forth and so on. You can't get around 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. I know the dance. I know many of the answers that are there. And there's a lot of other scriptures that show us the necessity of baptism in water. Jesus commanded the apostles to go and, and preach, and, and, and those that believed and were baptized would be saved, Mark 16, 15, 16. A lot of other scriptures. That's not the point of this particular podcast. But this particular sect, this Calvinistic websites, they consider Orthodox to be faith only. And anything in addition to what their fathers, what their creeds, they typically hold to the uh, Baptist creed or, or some other type of creed, confession or council, whatever is contrary to that is a cult. Again, it's the same mindset that if you're not one of us, if you don't agree with our idea, 
then you're wrong. You know, it's the Acts 5.17 where the high priest rolls up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they're filled with indignation. Why? Because the apostles were uh, performing miracles, preaching and teaching Jesus Christ, and even after they were commanded not to do it, they continued to do it. So they were filled with indignation that they that the apostles weren't, you know, lining up with their conclusions not to preach Christ. The word orthodox is not used or orthodoxy is not used, but the concept, the concept is there because to the Sadducees, if you were teaching the resurrection, if you were teaching about angels or spirits, you were teaching something that was not uh, in line with their established doctrine. And, and because of that, you were false. It, it was what divided the Pharisees from the Sadducees. What united them was that they hated Jesus and the apostles for teaching the truth. Well, similarly, you see that out there in the world of religion that uses that term orthodox. Uh, the, those groups of people are all led by men, not by Jesus Christ. Now, they'll, they'll say otherwise. Uh, my brother in Christ up in Maryland, Keith Hawkins, shout out Keith, uh, last Tuesday, he and I were talking on the phone, and he knows a gentleman that says he's part of an independent church. I don't remember the website or anything like that, so I'm just going to leave this general. And I told Keith, and Keith to tell you, I said, I said, no, you know what? They're not independent. They, they belong to something. They got their ideas from somewhere. So he said, oh, let me find, let me find the website. So we looked on the website, and I said, here it is, Keith, right here. Um, they have a confession. They have a statement of faith. And if you source that statement of faith, it leads back to the National Baptist Convention. And Keith's like, wow, I'm going to hold on to this for the next time that I talk to him. Yes, because when people use certain terms like orthodox or other terms, that they, they are terms that tell you, they signal to you, we believe in the doctrines of men. That's the superseding truth. Jesus is not even secondary to that. Jesus is way down the line. Our forefathers, you, you ever heard that term church fathers? That's another one. If people use the word orthodox or they use the word church fathers, run. Those people are going to take you to hell, okay? Man is never the standard. Man is never the standard. Uh, even when the apostles were teaching and they were examples to be followed, they were teaching and what they were teaching was the words given to them through the Holy Spirit. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Very clearly, Paul's not teaching the, man's, the words which man wisdom teacheth, but that which is spiritual. From whom? The source, the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit that Jesus told the apostles in John 16, 1 through 13, that he would send. And in John 14, 26, that he would send to them to guide them in all the truth, to bring them to remembrance of the things uh, which they said. Those quote-unquote church fathers and those men that have started covenants, confessions, creeds, and councils, they were not led by the Holy Spirit. They were led by their own traditions. And then men today go back and they read those documents and they say, this is how our church fathers understood this scripture and that's then their quote-unquote interpretation. It's all false. It's all wrong. You don't need man's interpretation of the scriptures. You don't need their idea. Even prophets were not allowed to give their own private interpretation, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. So let's come back to the Bible here with some more thinking. Christians who are faithful, Christians who are in Christ, do not form new languages and do not teach the commandments and doctrines of men. I, I want to draw your attention to Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to look beginning at verse 4 through verse 23. A little bit of a lengthy reading, but hey, folks, listen, it's the word of God that's a standard, not the words of Brian. So Paul is, is with Timothy when he writes this letter, and he's writing it to the faithful brethren in Colossae. Colossians 2, beginning at verse 4, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Mm. You can already tell right, right now why I'm picking this text, right? because this is what this podcast is about. He says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy, and vain deceit after the tradition of men, 
after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, and whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein you are risen with him through faith, the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses." blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ." Let no man beguile you of your reward and voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding of those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which the body by joints and bands have nourished, ministered, and knit together, increase with increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and, and will worship and humility and neglect in the body, not in order, any order to the satisfying of the flesh. When you listen to that context, men are going to be try to beguile Christians. They're going to try to entice, but don't listen to them. Beware of their philosophies. Beware of their deceptions. Beware of the traditions of men. AKA, that's not Orthodox. AKA, the church fathers have said. AKA, third century writers. This council has said this. Our confessional says that. The inspired word of God, the man moved by the Holy Spirit to teach you the words of Jesus Christ is telling you, stay away from that. Forget about what message they're giving. Just the fact that they're appealing to the traditions and doctrines of men Run away from it. If you want to be in Christ, if you're in that doctrine, you're not in Christ, by the way. You need to understand that in Christ, Christians are dead from that. We don't touch it. We don't taste it. We don't handle it because you perish through following those things that are of men. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter how well-intended your preacher, pastor, priest, whatever it is that you may call him, Seems that he is. You're not going to get to heaven by somebody's intentions or supposed intentions. And even though they say, nope, Jesus Christ is a standard. We believe the word of God. They're just virtue signaling. They don't because if they did that, they would never appeal to the words of men. In the book of Galatians, Paul, I'm just going to start in verse 1, chapter 1. We're going to go Galatians 1, 1 through 12. It says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. And God the Father who raised him up from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you, and we pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that we have received, let him be accursed. For do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at these inspired words. No matter who the man is, even if it's an angel from heaven, Mormons, are you listening? Even if it is an angel from heaven. I won't even argue with you about the concept that Joseph Smith saw an angel. It's not even worth arguing over. If he did, 
it was another gospel. You know what the front of the Book of Mormon says? Another testament of Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.8.9 is screaming at you if you're in Mormonism. You're following the doctrines of men. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Timothy is an evangelist. Paul's writing unto him, verses 3 through 7. He says to the evangelist Timothy, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which... Some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Why, why was Timothy left in Ephesus? To stop them from teaching any other doctrine. From He's left there to keep them from turning to fables, to keep them from endless genealogies. Things that, that only served about questions but turned them to godly edifying. Because there were people that desired to be teachers, but they didn't understand what they were teaching. Later, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, notice what was said of those who do teach otherwise. In 1 Timothy 6, 3-5, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which according to godliness he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words, wherefore cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. Yeah, as an evangelist, a man that knew the truth, that followed Paul, that was like-minded with Paul. Hey, even as an evangelist, Withdraw yourself from people that are teaching other things. John in 2 John, one chapter book, verses 9 through 11, says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not in your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker in his evil deeds. So think about that language. Those people that say, you know, back in the 1600s, uh, this confessional was written, and we hold to it. Uh, they're not abiding in the doctrine of Christ. They're abiding in the doctrines of men. That removes them from the fellowship of the Father and the Son. And if you follow them, you're a partaker in their evil deeds. Think about this idea of orthodox, again, just to remind you, means conforming to established doctrine, okay? And, and when men are using that, their established doctrine is that of men. Think about what was, what was quote-unquote orthodox to some. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, As many as desire to make a show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. To them, if this was modern day, they might throw out that term, if you're uncircumcised, that's unorthodox. You're not following orthodoxy. Well, previous chapter in Galatians 5, verses 1 through 4. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Contextually, talking about the law of Moses, folks. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. Whew! So those Jews who were trying to influence Christians, Jews who were believers, remember like in Acts 15, right? Acts 15, 1 through 5 that we, we read earlier in this podcast. They're trying to convince Christians you need to be circumcised. Those that are doing that have fallen from grace and those that are following that have fallen from grace. Why is that? Because in Galatians 6, 15, 
In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Circumcision was originally put in place back in Genesis chapter 17 as a reminder of the covenant between God and Abraham. Well, that reminder was no longer necessary because when Christ came and lived and taught and breathed and died and was buried and risen on the third day and ascended into heaven, the covenant that God made with Abraham was fulfilled. No reminder necessary any longer. That ordinance that was made to Abraham and then continued to be imposed under the law of Moses was no longer in place. Remember what we, we talked about in Colossians 2.14? It was nailed to the cross. In part, circumcision. Well, those Jewish Christians, they'd have that, but that's not our tradition mentality, right? We know what is right with God based upon what God says. Not what man considers to be the norm. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2, Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus are writing this epistle to Christians in Thessalonica. It says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that is, you've received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Hey, there it is. It's not by what man says. It's but what Jesus says. We're to prove what is acceptable, not unto man, but unto the Lord. Ephesians 5.10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Testing, is it acceptable to him? The one of us mindset gets people in trouble. You remember, uh, we read Acts 5.17 earlier, that the high priest rose up and all that wear them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Do you know what they did after that? They laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. Why? Because they're not one of us. They're not one of us. Modern day language. Because their beliefs are unorthodox. It's not orthodox to teach Jesus Christ to the Sadducees, to the chief priest. Think about the dangers of all this. About the thinking of what is normal versus abnormal. Let's walk through some thought process. Some consider, you know, if you're brought up Roman Catholic or you're brought up in some of the Orthodox churches or the Lutheran church, uh, some consider infant baptism to be Orthodox. Well, the scriptures don't teach that. Never once do you read of an infant being baptized in the scriptures. People that were baptized were people that were able to understand, believe, and obey the gospel. You know, just one quick example. Acts 18.8 says, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Babies can't do that. Of course, we could go into many different areas of discussion about infant baptism. But Acts 18.8 shows you infants aren't subject to baptism because belief like we talked about earlier in mark 16 15 and 16 briefly precedes baptism repentance precedes baptism acts 238 these things they're foreign to folks who are led by the doctrines of men their church fathers their creeds their confessions that's their standard today it is commonly thought that churches are physical buildings, are physical structures. You know what the Bible says? 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you're the body of Christ and members in particular. Well, what is the body? The body is the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 3, 23, hath put all things under his feet, gained to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Why does this matter? Well, if the idea of a physical structure being the church is the accepted norm among some people, then when they're building churches, they're not building people. They're building buildings. When they're supporting churches, they're not supporting people. They're supporting buildings. See, it's a problem. When they're going to church, they're going to a building. When they're in the church, they're not talking about fellowship with Christ and faithful saints. They're talking about physically being inside of a building. Now, speaking of buildings, it is thought to be cult-like for a church to assemble in a house. I want you to think about where that puts faithful Christians in the New Testament. 
In Romans 16, 3 through 5, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who for my life had laid down their own necks, to whom only I give thanks, but also the church of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epineus, who is the first fruits of Achaia in the Christ. And 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, says the churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. In Colossians 4.15, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. Philemon verse 2, to our beloved Epiphian, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Yet saints meeting in the house of Philemon, saints meeting in the house of Nymphus, saints meeting in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. The church was in their house. Are you saying all those faithful brethren were cult leaders? If you're saying that, then I want to be a member of a cult too, the cult of Christ. It's an established doctrine to refer to religious leaders as father or as reverend. But think about what the Bible says. In the King James Version, you find the word reverend once. You know what it's in reference to? God. Psalm 111, verse 9. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. In various church organizations, they refer to their leader, which because their leader is not Christ. The head of the church is Christ, right? And we read that in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Well, not among Orthodox churches or churches that consider things to be Orthodox and unorthodox. In Matthew 23, 9, call no man your father which is upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. <laughs> one father in a religious sense. You're going to give that title to men. Think about what you're robbing from our father, which is in heaven. It's commonly thought that the kingdom of Christ is not yet established. So someone would say, you know, I'm a member of the kingdom. And they would look back at you and say, that's not orthodox. That's not in line with orthodoxy. Well, when we consider the scriptures, saints in the first century were part of the kingdom. Colossians 1, 12 and 13, giving thanks to the Father, which made us to be meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. To Jewish Christians, the Hebrew writer in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the 28th verse, says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The book of Revelation, written from John to the seven churches of Asia Minor. You know, it is common Orthodox teaching that the book of Revelation is the book of end times. I want to talk to you not only about the kingdom. Let me make my point first, and then I'll come back to the one I started to introduce. In Revelation 1.9 says, I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, who is in the Isles called Patmos, the word of God and the testament of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, Christians were part of the kingdom in Colossians 1.13, Hebrews 12.28, and Revelation 1.9. If you're a Christian and you're following the scriptures, you're in the kingdom. That means the kingdom exists, okay? Also, the book of Revelation, it's commonly taught in a lot of these churches that follow councils, creeds, covenants, and confessions that the book of Revelation is the book of end times. Well, I mean, to some degree, that's true, uh, but not the way that man commonly understands it. You know, we have been in the last days since Acts 2. And in fact, when you read the book of Hebrews, Hebrews starts off in verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom the appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. We've been in the last days since the first century. Okay? When people say the book of Revelation is end times or last times or last days, they're typically holding to some form of a rapture doctrine or a premillennial doctrine or something else. Um, <laughs> I had a podcast, I don't remember when it was, you can look back in the previous episodes, it's not been too long ago, about the rapture doctrine. We covered a lot of those things in that, you might want to go back and listen to it. But listen, if you've been taught the book of Revelation is all about things to come and some war and everything else, physical and literal, I just want you to listen to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent, and he signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from which is, which was, which is to come, from the seven spirits, which is before his throne. The book of Revelation, in the very first three verses, I read through verse four, just to give you who it's written to, because that matters. People act like it's written to people in the 21st century. No, it's written to churches in the first century. Of things that must shortly come to pass. And you know what happens if you flip to the end of the book of Revelation? Chapter 22, verse 6. He said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. The Lord God of his holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servant the things which must shortly be done. The beginning and the end of the book give you a truth that a lot of teachers won't tell you today. Well, because they want you to buy into a doctrine of fear and a carnal concept of things to come. It flies in the face of the inspired prophet and apostle John. It was written to the seven churches of Asia. You know, when we're reading the New Testament, we're reading, for the most part, letters written to other people. Like going to the mailbox, you're opening somebody else's mail. You have to read it and study it as it was written to them, and then you have to walk away from that and rightly handle it. You know, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, study, in other words, be diligent, show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth or properly handling the word of truth, in other words. You have to handle it aright. You have to say what was written to them, how or does this apply to me? That takes integrity. Scriptural integrity, honesty. You want to please God. You want to know how to please God. You handle the Word of God right. Well, the idea of orthodox and orthodoxy carries with it the concept of a majority view. Well, what about the majority? What, what if, you know, I've had people tell me this in personal Bible studies um, that I've had with them, they'll say things like, do you think you're the only man that has the truth? Oh, absolutely not. And do you think that that little church down there in El Paso is the only church on earth that's sound? No, absolutely not. But what if it was? There was a time where there was one church on earth, and it was in Jerusalem. Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. What would you say to that? Well, people, well, wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't little. Thousands of members. Sure, thousands of members. Yep, absolutely. The only one on earth. I don't know of every faithful congregation on earth. Um, if you've listened to my podcast uh, talking about the need to be in a, a member of a faithful congregation and other things that we've talked about in the past, you will know that I've kind of given up on finding faithful Christians in other places because, unfortunately, we live in a time of apostasy. But I know they're out there. Well, how do you know that? I know there's always a remnant, Romans 11, 1 through 5. I know of faithful brethren in this country. I know of faithful brethren in other countries. Uh, how many are out there? I don't know. But let me come back to my point. The idea of orthodoxy is following the majority view. This is what has always been believed kind of concept. Let's test that biblically. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3 says, there were many false prophets also among the people. Did you hear that? I added a word. I said, there were many false prophets also among the people. Did you hear that? I added a word. Can you guess what word I added? I added the word many. Did, did you catch that? I did that for a purpose. 
you know how easy it is to just throw one word into a verse? And by the way, it's possible to do that as a genuine mistake. A lot of the times I'm quoting scriptures. I'm thinking ahead. Maybe I'm turning in my Bible while I'm, I'm, I'm looking at something else, so forth and so on. It's possible to miss a word or add a word. You know who it is upon to search the scriptures where those things are so? You. That's what the Bereans did in Acts 17, 10, and 11. You, right? So let me come back, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. But there were false prophets among the people. Not the word many. False prophets among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, now, you're going to hear the word many. And many shall follow their pernicious ways. It doesn't matter how many false teachers there are. The promise of God is that many are going to follow them. I'm going to keep reading. By reason of whom the way of truth shall evil be spoken of, hint, hey, that's a cult, <laughs> right? And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. I want you to think about all those quote-unquote preachers or whatever they call themselves out there on YouTube, Facebook, podcast, different things. Um, recently, I saw some false teacher up in Canada. He has a, what is it called, a QR code or something like that uh, that he puts across the screen so you can scan it so that you can donate to him. They make merchandise of you. This ought to be screaming, right? But Brian, you're unorthodox. All those other preachers are asking for contributions. You're the one that's not in the, in, in the norm. You're the one that's walking... Con okay, yeah. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. How many ever false teachers there are, you know for sure that many people are going to follow them. In fact, those people are going to pile up teachers that teach what they agree with. And yeah, they're going to pay them because they're made merchandise, right? But think about what 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. The idea of heap to themselves teachers is piling up, like taking a shovel and making a pile, bigger and bigger and bigger. They're going to seek men that are going to tell them that they're okay. Why? Because many shall follow their pernicious ways. So let's put this into application of the idea of what is orthodox. In the first century, if you lived in Athens, Acts 17, 16 says, While Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the whole city. Nope, that's not what the text says. That was a mistake. When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. The city was given wholly to idolatry. So what would have been orthodox then? It would have been orthodox in Athens to practice idolatry. Well, what are Christians taught about idolatry? 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Wherefore, my, beloved, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. The many in Athens would lead you to hell. Idolatry is one of the works of the flesh that Paul talked about to the Galatians in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, where the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, rash, strife, seditions, envings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Notice, of which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God." If you practice idolatry, even though it was orthodox, you are not going to be saved. Huh. Interesting, huh? When you put it to the test, the concept, whatever word you use, the concept is false. You want to be on the side of the minority, not the majority. Why is that? Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in that. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads in life, and few there be that find it. You don't want to be on the side of the many. 
you will orthodox your way to hell. You're on the slide of orthodoxy, straight to eternal damnation. Get up off of that. Walk away from it. When that person uses that term orthodox in a way that you ought to follow something that is whatever, run, run for the hills. You know, if you kept reading in Matthew 7, Jesus then said in verse 15, And you know what? I want to take you all the way to verse 23. He says, Beware of false prophets, which come you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore... By their fruits, you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And thy name cast out devils? And I named them many wonderful works. Then will I profess in them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Ladies and gentlemen, hear Jesus. I'm not asking you to listen to me. I'm asking you to listen to our Lord. Listen to the inspired men that we've examined in this podcast. You need to flee from the concept behind the terminology of what is orthodox or orthodoxy. It is a term that is rooted in following the doctrines of men. You do need to hold fast to something. But that something is not what man considers to be orthodox. Paul told the evangelist Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.13, Hold fast the form, meaning the pattern, of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Folks, please, for the sake of your soul, run away from those men, those churches, those women, whoever it is you're listening to, that's starting to tell you this is orthodox and that's not. Run away from them. They're implementing unto you the concept of following the doctrines of men, of being part of a creed, a sect, a covenant, a confession, or a council. Their doctrine is not from above. It's from men of the earth. It is not that which Christ died for, that you're a part of. It is that which man has lived to create that you're following. And that is not the way. The way is through Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh from the Father but by me, John 14, 6. And I know people will say, but my preacher or whatever they call him, he uses scriptures. yes. Yes, Satan did too. But they also use the doctrines and commandments of men. You're hearing that? If you pay attention, you know it's true. If you listen carefully, you know it's true. Many of these men I've heard or read over the years, they will say, oh, we just follow the Bible. But then they quote some forefather some man as their standard. And even in churches that don't use the term orthodox or or orthodoxy or unorthodox, some of them still have this concept where where they they will say, well, we do this because if you look back in this year, brother so-and-so said this or brother so-and-so said that. Listen, run from all of that. Unless it's Paul or or Jesus or Peter or one of the inspired men of the scriptures, run from that, okay? Because it's the doctrines and commandments of men, which we read in the context of Colossians 2.14 or Colossians 2.4 through 23 are to perish with the using. It's another gospel that we talked about in Galatians chapter 1. It's another gospel. Run from it because it's not from the revelation of Jesus Christ. Get out of those things, I'd love to help you. If you find this to be a troubling podcast because of where you are spiritually, call me up or email me. My phone number 
915-525-5794. You can email me, brian at wordsofthruth.net. We can just look at the scriptures. It's not going to be, well, I believe or I think or in my studied conclusions. It's going to be, here's what God says. And if God hasn't said it, we won't either, okay? Because New Testament Christianity is not as difficult as those religious leaders who follow all these books. They have these libraries of the words of men that, that they want to teach you. Walk away from it. I'd love to help you. Please let me do that. And I want to repeat what I said at the beginning of this podcast. If you're benefiting from these podcasts, I really like to hear from you because I'm, I'm looking into the future. Do I want to keep doing this podcast? Do I, I want to try another method or avenue uh, of teaching? If there's only a select few people and I personally know them that are benefiting from this podcast, there are other things that we can do uh, where we can study. And, and I've got some things on my mind that, that I might try if this podcast uh, isn't reaching the benefit level that, that I hope it is. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you will tune back in on Sunday where we're going to be talking about 1 Peter 1 and verse 1. It's exciting. It's going to be good stuff. I hope you'll tune in back then uh, to listen. Uh, thank you so much. Until then, if this podcast comes forward, if our Lord uh, doesn't come and all things continue as planned, you'll hear me on Sunday. Thank you.